This week, we'll talk about teaching and mentoring in data analytics. We have a special guest today, Irina. Irina works as a teacher and curriculum developer for data analytics and data science at Frauen Loop, which is an NGO in Germany. Judging from the name, Frauen means uh, women, right? Yeah, and also AI build, actually, as well. It's, okay. Whatever. Irina studied computer science in Romania and Germany, and she has worked at a variety of tech companies in Berlin, Amsterdam, the Bay Area. She's very active as a mentor in the area of data analytics and leadership. She is also an activist with a focus on supporting women in tech. So welcome, Irina. Welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me, Alexei. I'm very happy to be here and tell you all about these things that are like, these are my moonlighting jobs. You know, the nine to five is daylight and teaching and all of these things are my moonlighting. But it's a great passion for a long time. Okay. Now, I also wanted to mention that the questions for today's interview are prepared by Johanna Bayer. Thanks, Johanna, for your help. And um, let's get started. So before we go into our main topic of teaching and mentoring in data analytics, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Absolutely. How many minutes? <laughs> Ten. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's more than enough. Five. I, I don't know. Take your time. <laughs> I come from Romania. I was born in, uh, in 83 and to a family of nerds. So lucky enough, I got to code already at the age 12 because I got bored in my school and I wanted to touch a look to see what the heck that computer is doing, which was basic. At which age? Uh, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. They were making us knit and I finished all the knitting and embroidery. I don't know how this is called. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm done with this. No, give me that, that green screen computer. I want it. Of course, we also grew up with mathematics books and our dad doing puzzles. and. I always knew I wanted to go to mathematics and computer science after that because I really liked them. Funny enough, my brother was always faster than me. And he was like, I'm not going to study computer science, but I am. I have to be the quickest. So this is kind of like we had a very geeky childhood. So my dad was a professor in AI. My mom was a database analyst. Yeah. Second generation data analyst. Basically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I, I always wanted to... Go study computer science. This is what I chose. I did my bachelor's in Romania, and then I moved to Germany for my master's, for an Erasmus and my master's. And I wanted to do research. I wanted to do things that I knew that could not be done in Romania at the time. Uh, the industry did not support that kind of direction. So I decided to do a master in research at Max Planck Germany, and then take it from there. So this is kind of was my journey. I love that. I recommend to anyone studying at Max Planck. It's like a mini Google and with high imposter syndrome. But yeah, I did one year and a half of PhD after that. And I realized that this doesn't make me think. The teaching does and the students do, the classes do. But I like to work in something that has impact in the real world. And I felt like the PhD was not really connected to it. So that's how I landed up in Berlin. I started with a very generic role as a data consultant or engineer and then moved slowly towards data all in all four years where i reached uh, the role of a bi manager and i was disappointed about the layoffs in that year that davanda also had layoffs that year and i remember okay let's change the city so or the scene a little bit so that's how i took an offer from google and i moved to munich I was working in the advertising department in publishers on a technical ladder, taking care of really large clients for, for Google. 
the normal job nine to five that we will never really get promoted. Sorry for that. So you have to find other projects that are kind of aligned with your strengths and skills. And I chose data, data logs, data, and the models and forecasting. If you do this, then you get more money of that. This is how I got into the whole workflows and pipelines. And this was a, my most coolest project back then. Then I moved to San Francisco because I, I, I really wanted to report to a female manager that still, still works there in that org. There were not many female managers anyway. That was at Google, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the German offices, I don't remember female managers, but in the San Francisco office, there was. And I have to say this because I think this is very important due to the percentage of women that are in tech. I reported to a woman manager for the first time at age 32. I was Mm -hmm. working in a team where there were something else than men at age 32. (laughs) So we know that we have some gender gap there in presence in Germany. I'm not going to continue more with Google. I mean, I took on other roles and some research papers and I moved from buy side and sell side. I wanted to know as much as possible that I could get from this particular org, add cloud on top of it. And then I left Google and kind of merged all my worlds in one. And uh, from there on, I worked in the Netherlands as a consultant. And then I started again, the managing path. Actually, my first team I managed was a team of data engineers. And I really like them because they have stand up early and I love a good early stand up. Yeah, and since a year I'm back in Berlin, I'm a manager of analytics, but I can also do data engineering. So I can wear very many hats. And as I mentioned, I really liked teaching during my PhD. And this is something that I kept investing in all the time after I left. That means going back to Romania to my computer science high school and telling kids what they can do with it, encourage women to study or becoming a part of the first, something like a lean-in group 12 years ago in Berlin. I got really serious about it when my brother moved in with me, which was 11, 10, 11 years ago. And then he saw that I was so happy with my job. It's like, what do you do, Irina? I don't know what you do. He studied marketing. Like, mm-hmm. Tell me, how do you come happy after work? What's that? I want to be part of it. So um, yeah, he was my first student. And it was pretty successful, I would say. And that made me enroll myself as a mentor in other programs as well. So your brother, he was doing marketing. He was also doing a lot of things like IT support. Uh-huh. He's also a nerd, but in his own way, more on a hardware part. So he was doing marketing and a lot of other stuff. And he saw this world of data and you helped him to get in data. Right? So you mentored him. Yeah, teaching SQL, databases, queries, syntax. And then he started working as a data analyst. Yeah. I'm so proud of him because he said, like, I have experience as an IT support and I want to go into BI. You have two internships in both of these areas. Give them to me both and you, I will convince you to roll me to a full time. I'm so proud of his SAS. So, you know, requires courage. And he did a great job, so they hired him. And now... The rest is history because he's doing great. And you like the process of mentoring people, did you? Yeah, because I understand how people think. Like for me, it was for teaching him, it was a visual way of teaching him. Like I was trying to explain to him tables and databases and how do you do connections between them? What is an aggregation? How do you imagine yourself that it's kind of collapsing when you have a window function? 
Now, that's the most difficult concept. I'm still struggling with that one. I draw. I like to draw and then explain, like, if you do this, this is what happens. And like, and some other people are not necessarily visual, so you have to find other ways. And it's, it is so interesting to understand them, how they understand the problem so that you can explain to them in a medium that it's the best for them. So whether, you know, you, some people like to study alone and work with you and so on. Yeah, so this is kind of where, where it all started. Within Google, I was part of the official mentoring areas, as in like the Anita Borg scholarship recipients from Eastern Europe, groups where we had, again, like a really cool project. And the winning ladies have, they have created actually two NGOs that I've also volunteered for from time to time. I've also, in US, because it was easy due to the language to mentor, I worked with kids, I worked with the veteran, soon to be veteran, going towards data, teaching kids to code with Blockly and all the, the logic loops. And coming back to Europe, I discovered the Berlin Mentoring Club, which I thought was great. Both for me, as like sometimes I also need advice, so I find people to help me there too. Yeah, and that's when kind of I'm both focused more on like I'm teaching you how to do be a data analyst, how to enter the data field. Of course, women prefer women, and there are not many women in data that are mentors. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot of requests. And I got into the boot camps in Berlin, and I started analyzing a little bit the market because I hired some analysts from two different schools, and I saw some patterns as in, you know, they learn this beautiful code and they learn modeling, but they don't know some of the, the gut feeling in business. So that's how I looked and analyzed that part and discovered Frown Loop. And I'm absolutely in love with their community because it's so positive. And also the fact that it's not for profit allows just a different, more flexibility, more freedom in the curriculum, more tips, more stories from my own experience when somebody needs extra help. And this summer, I also designed a curriculum together with a couple of people at AI Guild and fraud detection and chargeback as well as a fancy class it's actually one of the questions i have about that so in your linkedin you have this experience with ai yield that you mentioned yeah. and the title that you have for this job is program manager so the responsibilities according to your profile is designing the fintech yeah. data science curriculum collecting market standard practices data sets and exercises per topic and finding teachers so yeah, I got really curious because we also in Data Talks Club also do courses. And yeah, this is something I, I also need to do often. So I really wanted to ask you more about this. Yeah, I mean, right, my employer was AI Guild and that, that's Danny mm -hmm. and Chris for people who don't know. It's a small community. We know each other. Yeah, it was... First, I was—I think I was asked to be a teacher, and I, I said I had a lot of ideas about the the program itself and how one can update a little bit the curriculum to make it a bit more modern. And that's how I got to work together with Dani on this. And then um, I got inspired that maybe we should have some Google certification or cloud certifications. If we work in BigQuery and do anything data related, we might as well get some certifications for those students. So my connections at Google and got them access to this. There is a learning platform that if you are a Google customer, you can have access to it. So now on top of everything, the students also get certification. So I think that's pretty unique in that sense. So you said they asked you 
AI guild asked you to join them as a teacher, but you were more interested in updating the curriculum. I did both. Ah, you did both. Okay. I'm really curious, what does it mean to design a curriculum? What did you do there? Exactly. So this, I didn't alone. It was also Dania, right? I have to give credit is due. Mm -hmm. So you plural, I guess. Exactly. I was interviewing financial techies. So managers of data in fintech companies or in fintech departments or in fraud departments what kind of methodologies they have implemented in their teams, and if this is an exhaustive list. And I came up with a list like money laundering, identity theft, uh, so on, identity management, and so on and so forth. Then I audited some Coursera classes and see what is the fraud class, because there are classes on fraud, massive, massive classes, like it could be a semester. But just to glean a couple of concepts from them. So as I said, the specific of the Curriculum was fintech. And after getting the high-level topics, we decided to spend maybe a couple of days on each topic, find the data sets that would support it, think of the complexity, trying ourselves to actually recode the problems ourselves before putting out the curriculum, because what if it's too hard, right? As a manager, I need to understand the internships piece, you know? Like I have to walk that path. So this curriculum was... It's a company that wanted to have it to, to hire these people. And we thought like, well, since the company is paying for this pilot, we could also like add cloud certification on top, add a little bit of some business knowledge or notes related to why we are doing these types of models with lots of examples. Like what does it mean in commerce? What does it mean in dating? What does it mean in SaaS and so on? And I'm thinking like, Technical skills related to ML and production would be like some parts of that curriculum and then alternated with the data science part. We also thought that it would be probably really good to give the students more business um, understanding. So things like soft skills. This is something that it is so forgotten in our data-driven world. Data analysts need soft skills, need presentation skills, storytelling. Slide design, all of that. Slide design. So even that. You know what? I think at the end of the day, all of us, even if we are techies, we're also salespeople. We sell and we negotiate Mm -hmm. in every single interaction. And we need to do that better in our tech world. So in my master's at Max Planck, I had a coordinator, a female, the program coordinator, who taught us as well technical writing and soft skills. She used to film us. She used to tell us like, Actually, this was part of the pitch to get a PhD. Tell the topic of your thesis in an elevator pitch. And if you can convince me, then you get it. <laughs> and then you get to film yourself to see your body language. What, how does your face look like? Do you look at the audience? Do you not? Do you time yourself? So we also, we thought it would be a really cool idea to bring this. And you did this with AI Guild 2 for their course, did you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's how I really like finding teachers, like who could teach? I also, like mm-hmm. Max Planck uh, Network has all of these AI teachers at Hasso Platner Institute, right? So you can also ask them. They also have teaching industry classes if they're available. Then like if you look at data storytelling and what kind of consultants offer you services on that, there are not very many. There's very few people. And I think the most prominent of them was one in the Netherlands and a couple of them in the U.S. 
but not here in Germany. So that's why it's really hard to find uh, teachers on, on that. Uh, they apparently, the students said that they liked the class very much. They never expected to get such a training. Yeah, I guess it's not what you by default expect from a data analytics or any data course, right? So you expect technical skills. You don't expect, uh, you know, how to design a slide. Well, it's important, of course. Yeah, but it's, it's very vital. Yeah, of course. How do you pitch your own idea? How do you convince? Mm -hmm. And the cloud part was an idea because I follow this guy from Microsoft. He designs ML exercises, writes ML books, and uh, very active. And he was commenting how current universities are a little bit behind technology and we're not going to find a class in cloud in a specific, I don't know, what the MIT, maybe maybe you do at MIT or Stanford, I don't know. But in general, you, can, you don't find the practices of the real world being taught in universities. Or here, I think he posted something about a, an American bootcamp that said, like, we have the trifecta, cloud, data science, and I don't know what which was also very modern, or ML in production. It was like, yep, that's where we want to go. Well, I guess if you're MIT and you need to design a course, it will take, I don't know, a couple of years. And then by the time you do this, I don't know, AWS or Google Cloud are already different. Mm, yeah. Maybe they don't have the services that they used to have two years ago and they have something else. And then it means like you need to redo the whole thing. And the UI has changed or the placement of information. Yeah. Yes. So, that's why I guess the universities, like more classical uh, universities, they're always behind with these things. Because they're more reactive, they catch up to the market. Mm -hmm. And how do you convince somebody who can teach you those things? Or a university might be expensive to come and teach mm -hmm. those things, maybe. So your role as a program manager was to design a curriculum. And what it means is come up with a course plan, right? What are the modules there? What are the units there? What are the topics underneath? What data sets we could have? What could mm -hmm. we do as an exercise? So you have insurance, that means you have scoring. How do you do scoring? How do you find the data? Mm -hmm. Kaggle is amazing. God bless Kaggle. <laughs> it has a lot of very good data. So, so first you talk to managers from different fintech companies that who work with data. Idea, yeah. yeah, so you collected some idea from them, then you formed the curriculum like a list of topics you need to cover. Then you understood uh, what exactly you need to cover there, what kind of data sets you could use, and then you found teachers for each of the modules. Yeah. That's the process. Yeah. Okay. Did you teach anything yourself, any of these models? Yeah, fraud and chargeback. Okay, interesting. Fraud detection as a rule-based was one example, and the other was uh, neural networks or chargeback detection. And I was trying to explain to them that to the students and for fraud you have a lot of signals and that's why you can use something else or you can even use rule based you have a lot of information we can discuss also about fraud changes fraud methodologies change every day so if you have an ml model you have to train it every week that's another kettle of fish and on chargeback you don't have as much information because you like there was these sort of conversations with the students like think how does it happen what's the process how many signals how many signals does the e-commerce see? How many signals does the bank application see? Well, then, if you don't have signals and you don't, there's nothing really that triggers it that's in, within your power or in your tracking, then yeah, neural networks. Because I, I don't, I don't know what else could go. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's other models as well that could do better. Of course, we're not not only talking about data sets, but how do you create your feature vectors? 
what are common standard practices to create that from experience, from theory. So it was more data science then? Yeah, I thought data science, BigQuery data science. Because the, sometimes the lines between what data analytics and what data science are, the lines are a bit blurry. I'm happy to discuss those definitions because I also teach them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, what you described to me sounds like data science, application of machine learning to a particular domain. Yes, data scientists. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Okay, so data sets. So you talk to these domain experts, managers, right? Yeah, because I can look into a class. I can look into a book. I can look online on fraud and uh, the categories for it. But that's not a direct view of how it is actually used in industry. And it's mm -hmm. if you have friends in industry, invite them for a coffee and ask them, have you implemented that? Mm -hmm. It's good to know what's possible to do and what the standards are. Mm -hmm. So this is in your description of the job you were doing. It was collecting market standard practices. This is what you mean by that, talking to people. Yeah, I kind of wrote it myself, but this is what I did, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I rewrite it. I don't know. <laughs> it's very concise, but dense. And then, like, we can talk about each of these words or phrases for the entire interview, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, that's quite interesting. So you worked as a data analyst. You worked as a BI manager, data activation specialist. At Google, I was a technical account manager. Technical account manager. It's a general umbrella term, actually, like consult, solution consultant. It's an umbrella term that actually could see every single title that I had. Mm -hmm. okay. And now you're a teacher, right? I have moonlight as a teacher, but I'm also a manager of analytics during the day. Yeah. Uh -huh. So you have a full-time job. I also have a full-time job. Okay. Yes, I do. Well, I've, I've been interviewing in the last two months, so that's why you didn't see mm -hmm. Yeah, because so what I wanted to ask you is like whether you're teaching full-time, but I guess yeah. the answer is no, or you have two full-time jobs. I don't have kids, right? So okay. <laughs> I have freedom. I think depends very much like what I feel that I can support the community most with, but also being very mindful of my own energy as well so for example if i start a new job i'm not going to teach in the first one month or two because it's too much it's overwhelming i would not be a full-time teacher because i really love building things i really like the idea of business and moving the needle and how engaging it is i i like the the friction in a normal management job and teaching people there as well I also can say that sometimes I'm so positively surprised of the mentees or the students that I'm teaching that might be even better than my own team or one single analyst. It's fascinating to see like how just different personalities and different speeds of desire to acquire new knowledge. And I, I can explain as well, like Frown Loop, I started as well this year, first as a more of an SQL teacher, but we also looked into we could update the curriculum with a few more modern concepts like for example i had students or i had analysts reporting to me coming out of a boot camp that didn't know what the cohort analysis is or churn or retention so the business kpis so we could also do that at round loop and then uh, because you're an ngo you know you don't have it's really hard to bring tech to own tech uh, tech stack on which you can teach 
And I offered the opportunity to some of the students, if they want to, to work in my cloud instance for from from loop on my data sets. They can practice whatever they want, their SQL or other things, or some BigQuery ML. Why not? You can write it directly in a query. So, yeah, kind of also brought cloud to from loop as a result. People get scared of it. It's like, oh my God, it must be so something so big and complex, Google Cloud or any other cloud solution. And then you show them like actually it's, no, it's really not. I'm only showing one part which is easy. I'm not gonna complexify things. To be frank, if I look at Google Cloud interface, it's so much simpler than some of the other clouds. Yeah. I mean I use it to AWS at work. Everybody who's an engineer is AWS. Yeah, and then if I look at Google Cloud, then some things are much more straightforward there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of know how to find stuff, which is rare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not everything, but uh, sometimes yes, yeah, some things are a bit easier there. But I, I see, I also see that in students, the, this, I don't know if fear is the right word, but somehow... Reluctance, I would say reluctance. Yeah. Maybe to learn cloud because this is something big and scary but you don't need to learn the entire cloud well, i don't know if i can say entire cloud but like all the aws all the google cloud right so there's one piece of that that you just can focus on and that's enough like bigquery right yeah at the beginning of the year i was doing a greenfield assignment so i hired from scratch and built a data warehouse from scratch I mean, as long as the data sources are pretty simple and you don't have a complex data ecosystem, heck, it's very easy to build pipelines, really. It's not rocket science. Yeah, that was also really cool. I like building things, so I, I don't think I could do just one job. I need to have a mix of things that always kind of excite me and, and bring new ideas. Mm -hmm. Which for you is, I guess, a manager, right? So as you're a manager, and then if you manage analysts, you need to get into analytics. If you manage data engineers, you need to go to get into pipeline building engineering. And then if you manage both, you kind of need to get into both, right? Yeah, and product analytics and marketing product analytics falls under BI, architect, maybe less, and ML engineer as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also teach, right? Yes, but for example, like I had a, an ML engineer, bless his heart, really talented. I think one day we'll read about him in the news. And I cannot understand everything that he does. I read a little bit, but I feel like I'm behind, of course, on some areas. That doesn't mean that it makes you a better or worse manager. If you conceptually understand an A-B test, how to do it, you're not going to do the distribution of the results as well. But again, it's for each. So yeah, you need to, because otherwise you cannot, especially with the engineers and especially as a woman, I feel that I need to prove that I'm technically serving maybe more than your usual set. You mentioned one thing. So you were working with somebody who didn't know what cohort analytics is or what churn is. Yeah. I'm really wondering, like, so I must admit, I don't also know what exactly is cohort analytics. Something super visual. So let's say, imagine that, let's talk about a game, like online gaming, Pokemon, Diablo. I play Diablo. I love Diablo. <laughs> Which one? First, second? 
Uh, first, second, I've exhausted them to the end together with my brother in a private lawn in our block of flats in Romania. But now I'm playing the immortal, the online version. Okay. Let me crawl. Just good memories. But imagine that you have, you know, you're launching a game and you know that there are parts of the game that are in different sets of betas, or maybe you don't have as many journeys. And depending on what users find in that game, they're more or less active if they find the things that interest them. So you as a product manager of a game or owner of a game, what you want is that your users spend as much time on your platform. So you're interested that they return and that they return after the first month and second month. And you want a long relationship with that client. And I'm trying to explain kind of how the cohort analysis will look. So imagine that in the first month of launch, you have people you know, being super active because it just launched and everyone wants to try it and the servers are super busy and everybody, the, the engineers focus on that and not on new maps and new challenges. And as a result, let's say that after two initial hype over two, three months, they don't return because there's not enough complexity in the game. Now, the PM says, well, now I have more time to think about it for the extra things I can bring in the game. So let's make it longer. Let's make it more complex. Let's make it more social, more challenges. And the next set of users that sign up and start playing the game have a different experience than the first ones. And as a result, they have a different behavior. And as a result, they have a different way of coming back or they come back for things that the first group did not. So the way you do, you count the users who join in the first month and in the second month. And then you calculate how much percentage of that first group returns the second, fourth, and so on. And if you do it with a very nice visual, you will see like a, a degradé of color and how that retention cohort analysis looks like, the retention rates. The cohort here is not cluster, it's something else. Exactly. Okay, because what I thought cohort analysis is like you have different clusters of users and then you somehow like you have different profiles, different personas. You can also do that. You can use it for same month, different users, like IB test, right? Mm -hmm. You want to see if an A-B test has impacted something or maybe you have users who see or engage with ads to get credits and users who don't know who hate ads, like me. <laughs> so you can also create two cohorts and look at the, not at the retention rate, but maybe monetization rate or something else related to, to that behavior being exposed to, to something. So it can be chronological, like month after month after month, or it can be at the same time and more as a like group compare, persona comparisons. Yeah, thanks. So you said you mentored your brother, right? And then you liked it. Mm -hmm. But how did you start maybe doing this more formally? Also, you did this with AI Guild. You're doing this with Frauen Loop. So how did you find these companies? How did you start mentoring with them? How did it happen to you? Yeah, it happened, actually. It just happened? Like, was it intentional from your side or did it just happen? Uh, with AI Guild, it really happened. I got an email from Chris like, hey, we saw your profile. You, you are fintech, you're data science, you're in AI Guild. Come teach for us. Well, it didn't just happen. They reached out. They reached out. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't actively do anything. You just no. did your stuff and then they reached out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were reaching out to data specialists who were working in fintech at the time. Mm -hmm. Or had like a long, extensive experience of marketing data, all sorts of data. 
yeah, I told Chris, hey, I actually have more time than just this if you want. So <laughs> we could build more that worked. With Frauenloop, I kept hearing about the NGO for, from so many people. And then um, one of my hires in spring, in, in, sorry, in January this year, was a graduate of Frauenloop. And um, yeah, she kept saying so many good things about it that I decided to join my, hey, can I offer you my services as a mentor or teacher? I would love to. I have some extra time if you need that. And it apparently came at the right time because there was a need in mentors. So started right away. This is something that you, for you as a gender is harder to understand, but I've been at the conferences where there are only women or being to classes where there are only women. It has a different vibe. It's a bit more jolly. It's a bit more relaxed. You can discuss more honestly as well. Like, hey, you are selling yourself short. You have apologized for something 10 times and I'm going to put a, an apology jar and I'm going to make you buy coffee or chocolate because you don't need to apologize this much. This is not reason to apologize. This is just tech work. <laughs> so it, it allows for more connection and more honest conversations as well. Like, don't do that. Don't do that when you interview. Trust me that it's not how you should approach things. Yeah, and I hope for a long collaboration with Loop. I mean, we're always thinking of things. Mm -hmm. And from what I know, mostly from Johanna, who talked to you before this interview, she mentioned that you work on some projects where you are looking into the diversity, gender diversity in big companies. It's not just me. It's a group of people. Yeah, yeah. But you as a part of a larger yes. group. It's really at the beginning, so we're just excited. <laughs> but at the beginning, does it mean that you're not ready to talk about the initiatives you had because they're not concrete yet? The signatures are official, but yeah, I would like to keep things under wraps just a few more until we get the first chance. Mm -hmm. But it's not, uh, what's it called? It's not some crazy new idea at all. It's all about like a data engineering question because I've been thinking about this like grabbing LinkedIn data or Glassdoor data and analyzing it to see if I find things. And as a data engineer, I was looking into how I can get this data and what are the rights. I need a developer account. I need to pay for this. I need to have IPs to scrape things. So it took a long time to find official solutions because, I mean, I'm a data manager. I'm a data teacher. There's also the concept of data governance and legalities and you cannot use for research information that is not publicly available or you have manipulated right to get so this also was a problem to overcome right otherwise everyone can say i've developed something it has to be respectfully done and legally done i mean i would love to do research on par with like lean in stuff i would really like because i think there are so many pitfalls and we don't know as women, every time we take a job, whether we're going to work in a team with other women or not. We're going to be the only woman in the team. Sometimes being the only woman in the team is not easy. Really not easy. So hopefully with such work, we can see where companies that are open to and that the diversity is not at a lower level only, but at a higher level, which shows you that I have a model there who can stand up for me. Like managers, right? You mentioned your first female manager was at... Uh... When he was how old? In humans, yeah. I was 32. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's insane. 
<laughs> exactly. Now you had to move to another country, right? Yeah. To have this experience. I mean, I did some internships in Romania, but I genuinely do not remember much. This was a long time ago. I don't know what if I had a male or female. I don't. <laughs> I just don't. Okay. I only remember the project. Mm -hmm. That's all. <laughs> yeah, since uh, these projects that you mentioned, they're at the inception stage yet. Mm -hmm. Now, well, like there is nothing concrete. But so we have a course at Data Talks Club. We have a course about data engineering. Mm -hmm. And it looks to me that 95% of the students, or roughly, it feels like they're males, not females. So only a small fraction of the students are females. And maybe you can ask a few suggestions, like how can we make it more interesting, more attractive for females to also join our course. And this is a free course, like how can we can attract more females, more students, to join the course. So the marketing we did so far was, uh, we just posted on Reddit, we posted on Twitter, LinkedIn, people come. How many women hang out on Reddit? Uh, zero, I guess. I mean, I do, but who else? <laughs> like it's a super toxic website, right? Because it's anonymous. It is weird. It's a trash fire sometimes. It's a fun trash fire sometimes. Yeah. As a parenthesis, I love the am I the asshole section. I always laugh when I read things from there, which is, yeah. How else can you advertise? You can put posters in universities. But maybe like not general advertising, but like how yeah. to make it more attractive for females. Because I guess if I put, if we go and put this in universities, then again. It's the same. No, it has to be more targeted. Like maybe um, groups like PyLadies could be in. PyLadies would be one. I think there's a lot of fear of data engineering, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem of signups. There are these great organizations like Correlate, Citizens for Europe. They also offer classes. Maybe you can offer classes for the volunteers thereof so that they can upskill. Because uh, I've been to a couple of hackathons where we had hard time on the data engineering part, not on the statistical part. And there were very few people with data engineering experience. I can think of Ellen Koenig was the only only female and the only data engineer expert in the in the room. So you can be, yeah, can be training to volunteers who go at these cool things and hackathons. Because also these organizations, as far as I've seen, have an equal representation of slightly equal of genders, surprisingly. I saw men hacking for diversity at Correlate, which is cool. And women have different, like they have a bit of a different obstacle than the guys in what means who is your target audience? Do you want to target the moms? Moms are the hardest to find time to learn something. So you have to do classes in the evening. If you want to target uh, PhD students, then you can give this class to and advertise it through, I don't know, alumni or Max Planck or programs. Or I'm sure, for example, it can be complementary to refugees as well great ideas yeah <laughs> i always have you know the the gallop the strengths finder test yeah my number one is ideator <laughs> maybe if you come up with great ideas please do share it, them with me but i realized that we have six questions in slider and we should cover them too yes absolutely so the first question the most supported one is how can I get technical feedback on my deliverables at work? 
My manager either don't have the technical skill or time for code review or discussing data modeling. Right. I would say in that case, you have to make aware your manager that both your work quality and happiness would benefit from this. And if the team doesn't have implemented uh, processes for code reviews or ticket reviews. Would you just say it like that? My happiness depends on feedback. Like you would be upfront about that without, you know, trying to say it in any other way. I'm giving large advice. The first thing that I would do if somebody is very sad about this and really wants to have code reviews is find things internally. In no, don't escalate. God forbid, you don't need to for this. The purpose of getting technical feedback or reviews of ML models is very vital for the company. So yes, somebody should take a look on your code. As your manager, I would not let your code go live without somebody else seeing it because it's important. So if you do not have peers in the analytics team, there can be peers in the engineering team that can give you feedback on the engineering part of the work. Or there can be a financial analyst who can give you some feedback on the logic that you have approached. If you are lucky and work for a stakeholder who's technical, they can also maybe replicate your work. The stakeholder could be the reviewer as well. For example, the ML engineer cannot go to a code review to an analyst, so they still need to go to an, another engineer for that setup. So I highly encourage that, first of all, you know, convince the managers, something that they can be solving by themselves, find the right person, talk to more people. Engineers love to help this, with these things. I don't have any other experience that this will be appreciated and any flexibility around these approaches will also be appreciated. If you don't find any resources within your company, then it's tougher because ML models or other information can be very proprietary to the company and you cannot share outside, please don't. But then you can find other data and kind of have a similar approach and kind of have a similar code, but please don't share it because people get fired if they do. Don't share company code on Reddit, right? Just code it again and ask a community maybe that you're part of. Yeah, speaking of discussing data modeling, I guess in situations when your manager doesn't have the skill, then it's tricky. But maybe some other people do have time. So for example, in our company, when somebody wants to discuss like data modeling or architecture or something and they come to me, I'm super happy. I will be glad to put everything I work on yeah. Maybe not immediately, but like finish it, wrap it up uh, for the day and then tomorrow be ready to discuss this thing because it's much more exciting than I usually do in my day-to-day -day work. Right. Like, you know, this green field data modeling or like it means that you're probably starting something new, right? And then you need yeah, to come yeah, up yeah. with a right model for that or right architecture or right something. Yeah. You'd be surprised when somebody starts explaining you this like how they have approached things, they also have a light bulb moment. The process of explaining something and taking it out of your head and putting it in words or on paper helps you clarify things too. And actually, this is one of the benefits of mentoring too. Okay, yeah. So another question, what are the top five overrated things, anti-patterns and waste of productivity for people who learn data analytics? Don't learn models if you don't apply anything. And by models, you mean? Predictive, ML. Uh -huh. Don't learn ML if you don't have a project for it. This is something I see a lot, oh, but also over-engineering. I call it a little bit of over-engineering. So on one hand is 
too much ML hype without being fully aware if that is necessary or that model is applicable to the data. Because data analysts don't necessarily need machine learning, right? Exactly. If you're a data scientist, maybe you do need, like, because otherwise you will not pass the interview. They will ask you ML. But for data analysts, it's not like a must, isn't it? Exactly. And then some other things, like anti-patterns and things that are not recommended. Over-engineering is the second answer. And this is something I've learned at Google. Ship it. Ship it and iterate. Find the first MVP that works for you and then iterate on it. Don't work in a waterfall model like for the PhD and wait for failure after five years. Iterate quickly. And if it's not, if it does good, great. If it's a model out of the box, if it's a solution out of the box, and then you later improve it to something else, great, fine. I've seen this kind of mentality in a couple of Dutch companies that we take a model out of the box, like a recommendation system, and then say, I can do better. Okay, well, first we have this, it makes money, mm-hmm. and then we build on top. That's why I think all the engineers are guilty of that i'm sure i'm also guilty of that in some parts i know i think there's a lot of focus on modeling instead of the business there's like low-hanging fruits with low tech too if you think enough about the data i guess we want to get into analytics because you really like these shiny things you might like this machine learning you might like these things and you're saying now that you know what actually these things are needed there not always, Not right? All Not, Not all, all the, time. the time. Yeah. For example, I built a model that could estimate how much money you would lose in ad exchange, the tool, if you do not block certain categories of keywords. And it was still a little bit like this. I mean, you had a lot of data to do the prediction on, but it was not a complex model and it was not known. It was like, a, I think, a simple regression or some clustering with some, some super light. That's still machine learning. Regression. <laughs> yeah, but I don't really consider it that level. Right? Okay. And in the end, you know what? It got incorporated in the product. And when they found another analyst to build them a better model for that, they could incorporate that one. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, best of other hypey things, tools. Mm-hmm. That's why like, you rarely see me talk about tools because I think it's like you learn to ride a plane. You learn to drive a plane. It doesn't matter. Or you learn to drive a car, it doesn't matter which car, if you know how to drive it. Well, maybe with planes, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yes, I know. I, that's why I switched to cars as an example. Or maybe bicycles. That's uh, yeah. even better. So, you know, tools come and go. The, the solutions that existed 12 years ago for BI, for ETL, and for visualizations are not the same. I think Microsoft Integration Studio is still there. Mm. Right? Christopher, <laughs> not, is not, I think. Yeah, most of them died, I think. And then uh, the, I used to work with Pentaho, which used to be open source and for free. Is it still uh, around? Still around, but it has been rebranded as SciSense. Hmm. So I think I, I remember when I was, I studied BI actually at my master's. And Pentaho seemed like a big thing back then. But when I graduated, nobody seemed to care about that actually. I don't know. I mean, that was like one or two years when it was big and it was a tool of choice as well. Okay. So basically, if we talk about all this Pentaho and other ETLs, so then you have concept, oh, which is, you have a concept ETL, right? And all these tools, they are kind of secondary, right? That's what you're saying. Yes. I don't see the point of using DBD if I can do my orchestration mm-hmm. myself. So we have a few more questions. So you probably have a lot more anti-patterns, but the next one is interesting. So 
I'm making career transition for data science. The background is in energy sales, GIS, teaching assistant. I was told that I won't become an engineer. Do you have any advice for young women? Oh boy. <laughs> Tell me who told you that I can calm myself and now. <laughs> no such thing. I mean, first of all, I would say that you, like this person who chooses data science from a bit of less technical role has a longer road of learning to go through than the classic data analyst, because you still have to understand a little bit. And the business, it's not just the model. It's also the business model, the how the money is made, what. So data scientist, you can totally become a data scientist. I mean, um, let's say that you have a role in sales at this point or in finance. These are departments where forecasting is used, where time series complexity is used. So you can start small with smaller things that prove value and add to a portfolio while still working in the same domain and you gain knowledge in the other. Mm -hmm. And in sales, there are so many applications. Actually, one of the things is lead scoring, right? So yeah. who is the most promising leads? For example, yeah. From the backlog of leads that you have, right? So maybe there is a, doesn't have to be very complex, right? Maybe it's simple no, logistic exactly. regression. Like I was looking at uh, how we could better forecast organic registrations for a dating app and i was thinking okay just plain forecasting like they do in excel this already exists but that doesn't include things like weather things like density things like population age or the exchange of dollar so if you have those time series and you enrich your time series with this you can have a better forecast and again this can be done pretty easily by someone in this role. I'm happy for that person to give her plenty of ideas as well on how she can book a session with me. She can email me, not a problem. So what's your email or what's the best way to contact you? I guess it's LinkedIn, isn't it? It's LinkedIn, but you can also like first name dot last name at Gmail. So it's Irina Brudaru. Yeah. There is another question about the best technologies to practice, but you said that you're not like a tool person. Practice SQL because it's bread and butter SQL. for 20 years for me and for many people. Anything else that is as fundamental as SQL? For which field? Data analytics, I guess. Data visualization, uh, slides, soft skills. So then, uh, since the question is about tools, then I guess for data visualization, you need to pick a tool. Doesn't matter which tool or just. It actually doesn't matter which tool. And all of these tools, you can find Tableau for free or have like a public version of it and play with it and build your portfolio. But if you want to go into data analytics, SQL is bread and butter. If you can add some coding on the side, it's great. But if not, also, I don't think it's really required. Yeah, some analysts have an area of focus, like be it data visualization or troubleshooting. But Depends again on the business model. If it's an online business model of e-commerce, then highly recommended to understand how does the page work? Or how does the app work? What is the normal user flow? Probably understanding a little bit about tracking and product analytics is very helpful. And cookies are because, yeah, then you understand how things and data flows through the app itself in order to come into your database. And if you understand that, it's, it's easier to work. Don't uh, get stuck choosing a tool, right? No, don't. Pick any. Okay. I, I see that there are a few comments, so I want to mention them because they are interesting before we wrap up. 
So one of the comments is, I was one of the few women doing the data talks club Zoom camps. It was hard being of the few. So the suggestion is join the effort with women who code and other women organizations like women in data science. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Great suggestion. So I'll definitely, I am in touch yeah. with some of them. So I'll definitely mm, talk. Yeah, there's like the woman in AI, girls yeah. who code. Yeah, yeah. Then a comment from Adonis is targeting advertising sounds like a good idea. So if anyone who is listening to this conversation right now knows how to do campaigns in like can. Facebook. Ah, you can. Okay, good. <laughs> so then we will be in touch. Facebook is very little, but Google, I mean... Yeah, okay. Because that's like you spent six years doing that stuff, right? For how long? Well, I actually, last year, I had a mismatch in a role and I was supposed to be head of analytics, but I ended up doing tag manager implementation, troubleshooting of Google shopping ads, brand campaigns, conversion tracking, like I can also do that. I can moonlight as a marketing analyst any day. Okay. So we have sponsors. We have a bit of budget that we can spend on uh, promoting it too. So yeah, awesome. I'll be in touch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Thanks Irina for being here with us today, for sharing all this knowledge of all this expertise with us, for giving all this advice. And yeah. Thanks for asking all these questions and sorry we didn't cover all of them. I'm happy to answer on LinkedIn or on email. I'm very responsive and I'm very mm -hmm. active and always open. It's Irina Brudaru at Gmail, right? Dot com, yes. Okay. Or just Google me and you will find ways to get in touch with me. It's not <laughs> Okay then. So have a great weekend. Alex, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye everyone. Bye.